0: she's tori
1: and he's nick
0: and this is i want to rewatch
1: an x-files adjacent podcast
0: kolchek the night stalker episode nine
1: the spanish moss murders in this episode stories of bayou boogeymen like many such stories were meant to frighten children into behaving. Everyone has stories from their childhood, and they travel along with the people who heard them as children. But what if something else is brought along with those stories? Something deadly. Mm. This episode was written by David Chase and Al Friedman, and it was directed by Gordon Hessler. Its original air date was Friday, December 6th, 1974, at 10 p.m.
0: Yeah. And I don't do this every episode, but I I do feel compelled to remind people that when we talk about David Chase, this is Sopranos dude. This was his first job in Hollywood. And he is like the story editor on all the episodes and writes quite a few of them as well. But just the idea that Sopranos dude wrote Cold episodes is kind of crazy. So we have the opening sequence, as we always do and then we see Kolchek, and he is completely filthy. He is basically a grimy brownish gray from head to toe. Like his suit and his shirt and his tie are all the same color, his hat looks gross, his face is covered in muck, and he is sitting somewhere, we don't know where, like a yellow wall behind him and like this bland abstract art, but he of course always is talking into his recorder. It's like maybe he's in a waiting room, but we don't know. We only get an upper body shot. So in his recorder, the dreams and nightmares of childhood can be some of the most powerful and terrifying imaginations that humans can conjure. And during the first stifling nights of July, there are several people who would agree if they were still alive. Dun, dun, dun so michelle kelly was one of those people we see her working in a sleep lab and she's checking all the sleep lab monitors for the guy that's in the sleep lab and checking all the connections doing this kind of stuff and when she finishes she like walks into some of the equipment and bumps it and the guy's like and like almost wakes up right and like his monitors kind of go a little bit but we find out she's a psychology graduate student and lab assistant she's 25 and she is actually in a hurry to leave her job at 1045 a little bit early. So I guess maybe she works till 11. And it's the night of July 3rd because she's trying to catch the last flight to suburban New Jersey for the long 4th of July weekend. So she leaves the lab. And as she's leaving, the man is like shifting in sleep and snort some more. And there's Mars beep some more, a little more than what they should be beeping usually. So as she's leaving in the hallway, we hear this strange noise kind of like... And then we see this like reflection in like a glass cabinet nearby. We can't really tell what it is, but it's something. And she kind of like, I think she sees it too. And then she kind of like, "Mm," and so she leaves, right? And outside she's looking for something in her bag. She's going up to a car. And so you think maybe she's going to get in her car, but I think the car is just there. And so maybe she's looking for like her bus pass or something, but We hear the growling again, and then behind her, there's this glass partition that I actually thought was a bus stop, but I think it's actually like the storefront, like the corner of a storefront, like their glass windows. And like through the glass, we see something that looks kind of like a Bigfoot, kind of like, hey, what's going on, kind of looking at her. And so she's like, Ooh, So she kind of like leaves the area and walks down the street, presumably to catch another bus or catch a cab because she's trying to get to the airport, right? She's trying to catch her flight. So she was planning to spend the long 4th of July weekend with her family. And Kolchak tells us the family did gather, but not for a barbecue, for a funeral. And then as she's walking, she comes around a corner and this big, Bigfoot looking thing grabs her and roars and picks her up. And then we see like her like, ah, and then we're told cause of death: chest cavity crushed. Official police statement: hit and run auto.
1: Ooh.
0: Yeah, so it like crushed her to death. Apparently, and they were like, "Oh,
1: she got a car."
0: Yeah, because cops are good at their job.
1: <laughs> well, she has a big impact. She's on the side of the road. They don't know what happened. Yeah, um,
0: and this episode is cut weird. So I don't know if they changed the commercial format. There may be a commercial here, even though we're like four minutes in the episode. I'm not sure. Usually we get one like at a 12 minute mark, 11, 12 minute mark. But I think there might be one here because then later we're missing one. So they may have cut things weird in this episode.
1: Yeah. So Kolchak's driving in the city and in a change of style, we get the opening credits as he maneuvers through traffic. And then we learn that the one thing Kolchak fears most is the dentist. And he's on his way to an appointment. But he's saved by a report on the police band. There was a possible homicide at Chez Voltaire, the Frenchiest of French restaurants in Chicago. So it's overpriced, abusive service, and minuscule portions. And Kolchek's not a fan, clearly, since that's what he says about it. But apparently the value of the wine cellar at Chez Voltaire actually exceeds the gross national product of Paraguay. So they have some pretty expensive and fancy wines. Yeah.
0: I mean, I don't know what the gross national product of Paraguay is, so I don't know what that really says. But
1: Yeah. I guess we could have looked it up. (laughs) Whoops.
0: So we get to the scene, and the French chef, his name is Henri Piaget, he is lying face down on the floor of the kitchen. And it looks like there's, like, some, like, microgreens or something, like, on his back. And we see, like, some forensic officers, like, picking them up with tongs and putting them into an evidence bag. So Kolchak arrives and he starts taking photos and then he's taking photos and he gets a dirty look from someone else who's taking photos think because like his flash is messing up the other guy's photos. Like he's flashing when the guy's taking photos. And so he gets kind of a dirty look from him. I'm not sure if that's actually supposed to be like a crime scene photographer or if he's another reporter, but he's got like a real camera, like an SLR as opposed to Kolchak's little like Instamatic looking thing that he has. Mm-hmm. And we are told that, piaget had been considered an artist at the level of Cezanne or gauguin so in like you know culinary circles but now that he'd been murdered he looked just as dead as any other short order cook in any greasy spoon so again (laughs) kolchek not a fan really
1: yeah which is funny because like when he said that i was like wait are you saying that cooks and greasy spoons look dead or (laughs) I mean, no. I know what I know what he meant that he was yeah. just as dead, but just the way he phrased it, it was like he said, "I know it wasn't really a dig on Greasy spoons," but I was like, "Hey,
0: no, I think it's just yeah, that whole like whatever French yeah chef, who cares." <laughs> yeah, I yeah. know he definitely. When you has, die, it doesn't matter.
1: <laughs> he has no love for this this restaurant at all. It's not no, a place Kolchak so. would eat, and from what we learned last episode with his bags dinner, he probably couldn't <laughs> afford to eat there anyway.
0: Yeah, well, because he's always doling money out to all these informants he's having to pay
1: yeah Um, his budget for information has got to be high
0: yeah and apparently a lot of his stories never actually make the paper so i'm not sure how much he gets paid he Uh
1: probably gets a salary i would think to be a story okay yeah because he's not like a freelancer Okay. he's got a good gig (laughs) back when journalists had salaries
0: (laughs) journalism paid all right So around the corner, and this kitchen is huge. TV kitchens are always huge in restaurants. And that, if you've ever worked in a restaurant, Tori, I know you know this. Mm -hmm. That is not the case. Kitchen restaurants are not big. They are very small and very cramped. But on TV, kitchens are huge. So this one has a huge kitchen. So it goes around the corner, and we hear... A detective asking questions of the restaurant manager. Like, I can't believe you don't have what do you mean you don't have a night watchman in a place like this? Whatever. And so Kolchek snaps some pictures and then Officer Johnson is like, Kolch, you can't be here. And he starts to like move him away. But the detective who we'll learn is actually Captain Joe mad dog siska tells johnson like hey it's okay johnson like everyone has to earn a living so he's like kolchek you know the rules like just don't touch anything get in anybody's way and kolchek seems kind of confused by the politeness of this but he's like okay thanks captain siska and he kind of like just hangs out and listens so yeah seems strange the police are being nice to kolchek
1: it's it's a bit of a turn but that's okay it's a good thing so the restaurant manager says that Henri was always the last to leave. And when he left last night, Piaget was marinating the venison. And when he arrived this morning, he found him like this. And then he's like, it had to be that scum. He hated, he hated. And Kolchak interrupts to get a name. And Siska calmly asks Kolchak not to interrupt. And then Kolchak asks why they aren't nabbing the obvious suspect. And Siska walks Kolchak away and tells him they'll be arraigning the man in a couple of hours. And if he heads down to police quarters, then he'll be able to give Kolchak a name and Kolchak continues to nag Siska, and he asks about the green stuff on Piaget's back, and he's like, well, it's probably salad. I mean, this is a restaurant. And Kolchak asks if the men are collecting it in doggy bags to go back and eat at the station, and Siska laughs at the joke, and he gives Kolchak a friendly little pat on the shoulder, and he tells him, this is procedure, Kolchak. You know that.
0: Yeah, so Kolchak is finally, like, what is wrong with you? Like, we used to call you Mad Dog Siska. Like, you know, and this guy is like super calm and polite and laughing at Kolchek's jokes. And Siska says that he was getting too wrapped up in his job. It was warping him given ulcers possibly heart trouble and he was on the path to divorce but his wife convinced him to go to group therapy and it's changed his life he's learned to control his rage and he's as he's saying this he's kind of starting (laughs) to get like shaky he's like i have learned to control my rage and he put his fist up but then he like bites down on his fist and he's like but now when i'm trying to tell people something and instead of yelling i just say i'm okay you're okay and he like opens his hand, and so Kolchak is like, oh. so he like grabs his hand. He's like, okay, and he shakes his hand and congratulates him. He's like, all right. Good job on, you know, not yelling at me all the time. I kind of like this. So Kolchak leaves and the detective at the door is like letting in like a huge flood of reporters. So Kolchak's trying to go out and then the detective is like letting. So now all the other reporters are coming. It's a big old long line of reporters. And in voiceover, Kolchak muses that the patron saint of gourmets everywhere had been murdered. He'd gotten there first and he'll go write the story and it'll be a good story. Now he just needs to make sure that he's there first when the suspect is arraigned. And it turns out that he's not going to be.
1: No. I have to say, though, I really love Siska's side story here. Like, I know he's kind of a side character, but I love his character arc. And I love that they have this guy who's, like, dealing with anger for his own health. Like, he's trying to just take deep breaths, live and let live. I'm okay. You're okay. And, of course, Kolchak is, like, testing his patience because that's Uh what Kolchak does. So it's it's perfect. It's a great setup.
0: Yeah. And I believe that this character actually comes back in another episode. Yeah.
1: So as the suspect is walked down the hallway in cuffs, Siska tells the crush of reporters that his name is Roman Colvente and he's a former pastry chef at Chez Voltaire. And in response to a question, Siska says he hasn't confessed, but he has no alibi because apparently he was blackout drunk and he has a motive. He and Piaget hated each other and he had been fired three days ago and went after Piaget with a cleaver before he was stopped and then he was overheard saying that he'd try again. So that's not a good look for this poor guy. <laughs> no. It does not look good. That's yeah. why you don't threaten to murder people that you're angry at after you fight with them. Because if they do end up dead, you're the first one. It's I have feel to like
0: that's like himself. a trope too. I don't know how long it existed for. I know I've seen it in more recent things where like oh, yeah. when chefs have argument, like one of them picks up a cleaver and just like goes at the other <laughs> one. <laughs> Maybe kitchens shouldn't have cleavers. I don't know. (laughs) So then another reporter asked about the cause of death of Piaget. And Siska says, well, preliminary reports state suffocation due to massive chest contusions. And Kultzik is like, what? I was there. His chest looked like it had been massaged by a bulldozer. And so Siska turns around and is like, oh, you know, Mr. Kolchak is obviously exaggerating, though we don't actually know what kind of weapon Clemente used to inflict the wounds. And Kolchak's like, what wounds? There were no wounds. There was no blood. And he's like, and what about that salad that was all over his body? And then so, of course, per usual, all the other reporters are like, "What salad? what's going on? <laughs> so Siska, like, just like they have been walking down the hallway and apparently they got to his office and he just like goes in his office and closes the door. So then all the reporters swarm Kolchak, much like last episode. And he's like, I don't know anything about salad. I'm a meat and potatoes man myself. And he's kind of like, yeah, yeah get away. And they're like, oh, you're holding out on us, Kolchak. He's like, what? Me? No, never. I would never do that. And everyone <laughs> kind of leaves. And yeah.
1: <laughs> so then Kolchak ducks in a room across the hall and there's a man looking through a microscope. And he immediately tells Kolchak to go away. But Kolchak feigns breathlessness and tells Paco he saw a bunch of kids letting all the air out of his tires. And, like, you drive a green convertible, right? That's your car? And so Paco, like, runs to the window, and I guess he can't tell. So, like, then he runs out of the room to go check on his car. And Kolchak goes to the file cabinet. And he pulls out the file on Henri Piaget. And he learns the actual cause of death, which is apparently pretty gruesome. And he also learns that some of the salad that was found on the body has a name. And he's writing down the name, and Siska opens the door looking for Paco, and Kolchak like ducks behind the file cabinet, and then Siska leaves. And Kolchak learns there's another case mentioned and related to Piaget's murder, and it's the hit and run of a young woman named Michelle Louise Kelly.
0: Hmm. That sounds familiar. Yeah. Yeah. So back at INS office, Kolchak's voiceover tells that the dictionary doesn't list plants by their Latin name. So strike one. And the strike two is that when he's going through the phone book, apparently there's over 2,000 Kellys in the Chicago phone book. And there are 18 of them with the first name of Michelle. So he is going to have a lot of footwork ahead of him tomorrow. But then he tells us the big strikeout that night was made at 11 p.m. by Bobby Ray Solange, age 22, who after a full day of busking with his guitar, decided to relax with his version of an evening martini. He's going to smoke a joint. And, of course, smoking a joint is illegal. So he has to sneak somewhere where he won't be seen. And so he goes into an empty apartment building in the basement. Unfortunately, the Bigfoot thing that we saw kill Michelle Kelly bursts down the door and kills Bobby Solange. And then apparently the thing that it is we thought was like, because it looked like a Bigfoot before, but Mm -hmm. apparently it's not hair. It's actually like shaggy plant mass. So, it's not an eight man. It's more of like a moss man, kind of. Ooh, so, moss man. Yeah, but Bobby Slange is dead. And so, we have to have a commercial. Because, yep. dead person.
1: So, Kolchek went through nine Michelle Kellys before he found the dead one. And her landlady directed him to the university she attended. And apparently, she worked as a lab assistant at the university.
0: And we saw so, that. So
1: yeah. Sense. So, inside, the lead researcher, professor guy is... You wrote being gross with one of his lab assistants, not wrong. Um, So Kolchak walks in, he's like, whoops. And the assistant heads off and the professor who will learn is Dr. Alan Pollock, is like, quiet. The soundproof glass only does so much. And the sleep subject we saw there before is like on the other side of the glass. And Pollock says he is reming and looks super interested in the subject now. And Kolchak's like, oh, what's that? And the assistant who will eventually learn his name natalie is looking down at a clipboard and she defines rem sleep for us as rapid eye movement and this is the stage of sleep where dreaming occurs and we can hear despite the soundproof glass that the subject is like talking in his sleep and he's apologizing to someone named hillary and like calling for his mom and kolchuk's like oh sounds like you had a good rem and pollock's like who are you and what do you want and so kolchuk introduces himself as a reporter for ins And Pollock's like, oh, yes, well, it's about time my work is recognized. And Kolchak's like, yeah, I'm sure your work's great, but I'm here to talk about Michelle Kelly. And Pollock has no idea who that is at all. And Natalie strolls by with her clipboard, and she's like, Michelle is the one who was hit by the car, Aaron. And behind them, the test subject is either in pain or having a really good dream of some kind. (laughs) And uh, Kolchak asks if he's sick. And so Pollock gives this, like, the brilliant scientist in search of hidden truth speech and about how he's going to find all the secrets of sleep. And he walks around turning dials and looking at blinking lights. And Natalie does a lot of checking on her clipboard. And we learn that this test subject actually suffers from narcolepsy, which is a disorder where, like, you fall asleep at times would should not be opportune to fall asleep. Like if you're not necessarily driving, but in situations where you like need to be awake, you'll like fall asleep, like in class and stuff where you shouldn't, you should be able to stay awake and you can and I think
0: sometimes it's actually it gets induced by like excitement. Like so you, okay. you, might get, you might get excited and you'll fall asleep because he does mention, I mean, not that I'm using this episode as like my research material for narcolepsy, but right. I know I'd heard previously that sometimes like people be like, like in the middle of sex or like when something exciting, like they get scared and they'll like just boom, like, you know, like some, sometimes it's like a reaction, like your heart rate goes up and then boom, you get hit with the narcolepsy. So you'll
1: fall okay. asleep. Okay. Yeah. Doesn't, yeah, it sounds like it'd be a pretty inconvenient disorder to have.
0: Yeah. And Paddock has this really like, like affectation voice of like the. I'm a professor, kind of mm-hmm. thing. When he talks, so yeah. And he's also gross. Because, Like we walk in, he's like, he's like, his head is like resting on Natalie's hand, and he's all like, oh, oh. so yeah, he's probably gross. Well,
1: especially because he doesn't even know the name of his lab assistant who died. <laughs>
0: Yeah, like that she too. worked there and it's like, yeah. he doesn't even
1: know her name.
0: And he doesn't really see later. We'll see the same thing. Like he's not talking about the research at all or interested in the research until someone else arrives. And he's like, oh, this is, I'm so into my research and talking about it. But like, you know, he's like hanging out with Natalie, putting his head on her hand. And then later he's like talking about someone else, like in the like professor secret chambers is doing something like he's never talking about the research until someone else appears and then suddenly he's like oh i'm about all this research so yeah he's kind of a weirdo and gross so despite the super important implications of his work pollock is disappointed to learn that kolchek is only there to talk about some run-of-the-mill automobile accident so kolchek is like is it though Ah, i think she was murdered because Of course he does. So Pollock says he doubts that anyone would have murdered Kelly. She had no enemies, no boyfriends. She was a schlub. And so he's like, she was eager and bright, but she was unbearably clumsy. If anyone was going to blunder out in front of an automobile, it would have been her. So he's, he's talking about a dead person. He's being rude.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. And he's like she was always pulling knobs off expensive equipment, which is kind of ironic because when he's walking around telling Kolchak about his grand thoughts about sleep, he does exactly that. He, like, pulls a knob off and then puts it back on. So, And then she was always spilling bedpans, and she even bumped into the oscilloscope and nearly woke the test subject, which would have ruined an entire study. And Kolchak is like, well, if she was such a slub, why did you keep her on? And Paul is like, well, because I try to be a nice guy. And so Kolchak is like, and how's that working out for you? So then he's like, I don't know. So yeah, he's, <laughs> I do think that this is obviously kind of being played for like satire of mm-hmm. like professorial kind of stuff, even though he is totally gross and kind of a dick. But I do think that this whole like professorial thing is actually being played a little bit for satire and they're kind of being campy about it. That's my opinion, at least maybe not, but I kind of get that vibe that they're doing it yeah. on purpose. So.
1: Oh yeah, I did too. I thought it was intentional for sure. So, Colchik's at the Chicago Botanical Gardens and he's talking with a woman who is working on something else and basically is like Busy, doesn't want to deal with Kolchak. You said she obviously hates her job. I didn't get that vibe so much. I thought she just had a lot to do. I didn't want to deal with Kolchak. But either way, she lets him know that he's actually standing in some high-grade horse manure. And while he's talking to her, he does learn that the green stuff found on Chef Piaget is commonly called Spanish moss. And it's from the bayou country of Louisiana. And the specimen in the gardens is probably the only one in a thousand mile radius of Chicago because it requires such humid conditions to grow. And it wouldn't really survive in the wild in Chicago.
0: Yeah, I just got the feeling she didn't like her job because like she was complaining about having to do what she was doing. And then when he was like, well, can I come back later? And then she was complaining because then she has to give a tour to a bunch of people. Yeah. Like like, I think maybe she's like interested in the botanical garden but she doesn't like her job at the botanical garden
1: she doesn't like to deal with the customers she just wants to deal with the plants yeah and then we find out
0: she's actually not working on anything with botanical garden she's actually growing her own tomatoes in the garden because of inflation in the 1970s and so (laughs) she's actually got a secret stash of tomatoes growing there so that's cool
1: yeah Yeah. so then it's night again and kolchek has spent the entire day unsuccessfully trying to find any connection between michelle kelly and chef piaget And there just isn't one, so he can't figure out why someone would kill both of them. But he does receive a message from a doctor who's one of his informants. And Kolchak had apparently put the word out that he wanted information on any injuries that involved crushed chests. So after being made to pay $20 in advance, Kolchak is told about this dead-on-arrival who was brought in, Bobby Ray Solange, who was found in the basement of the Champlain Apartments.
0: Yep, just trying to smoke a joint, and he got killed. Yep. Yeah, So at the Champlain apartments, Kolchek pries off the boards that are like blocking the entrance because it's all like boarded up. And ban- it's not really abandoned, but like you're trying to not let people in there. So he goes inside with a little pin light and then he finds an overhead lamp and he clicks it on. And the place is just a dump. There's like just like stuff everywhere, like old furniture. And just it's not like, you know, it's like being used almost like as a storage room or something. It looks like. And then a maintenance man walks in and he's like what are you doing here the manager wants this area closed off permanently because apparently kids are making out there and they're smoking cocaine (laughs) and like last thanksgiving some guy stabbed his girlfriend down there and then last night a hippie was crushed to death and they've been through three locks so far this year so he's you know not happy then he's like and who are you anyway and so kolchek does a little like Quick flash ID thing, and it's like Colchick, health department. And he claims to be a health inspector. And he starts like saying, like, Oh, look at here, and you, you're gonna have rats, and this is a fire hazard, and all this kind of stuff. He starts making stuff up. And the guy is kind of like, hey, Can I see that ID again? And so is like, What's your name? I need to get some information on you. <laughs> Why are you questioning me? And so he managed to get the guy back around to what happened last night. And he's talking about like, This is what happened. And he points to the door, and it's like $200 worth of Brazilian mahogany ruined. And Kulchuk's like, ruined, because the guy talks funny, right? And so, like, the door that got busted through when the Moss Man came through. Mm-hmm. And he's like, why, back in the 30s, this place used to be something. And he's like, but it was horrible what they did to that kid. It must have been a gang. And then they threw some vegetables all over in place and spilled dirty water all over the floor. It was a mess. And he's like, but still, he was a dirty hippie. He, like, had a moldy sandwich in his guitar case. And there were, like, nickels and dimes all over the floor. And he's like, hey, you think maybe he was one of those street musicians? so yeah, yeah. It's, so it's like it's horrible what happened to him but he was a dirty hippie so it's,
1: yeah like, so he deserves <laughs> it <laughs> so
0: bad
1: so Kolchik's following some guy on the sidewalk who's playing a fiddle and he's you know working the passersby trying to get tips and there are people seated in an outdoor cafe with his sidekick pepe who's like a rather short dude in a beret and he's wearing one of those like what is it neckerchief type things like there's a word for that, and now I yeah. Can't. Well, I was
0: gonna call it a cravat, but it's not really a cravat.
1: It's not it's a like cravat. A little,
0: it was like a kerchief kind of thing, just tied around his. Yeah, I,
1: I, yeah. It's kind of like yeah, like a, little,
0: like a scarf, but it's not really a scarf. I don't know what you call it. It's a Frenchy yeah. thing.
1: It's you know, it's the French stereotype with like the beret and the little neck kerchief.
0: Yeah, and he's a little tiny dude. So yeah.
1: And so as they count their take, the fiddle player says with 10 more bucks, he can get another half hour in the studio. So Kolchek's like, well, I've got 10 bucks. And so the fiddler answers Kolchek's question about Bobby Ray. And he says they come from the same parish in Louisiana and Kolchek tries to ask about Spanish moss, but the dude just like gets in his car and drives away. And Pepe is still there. And he also knew Bobby Ray. And so he puts out his hand and Kolchak basically hands him his remaining money. He's like, this is all I have. And Kolchak's like, all right, let's talk. And so Pepe drops the French accent. And apparently his name is Maurice Shapiro.
0: Yeah. I think he says Maury the first time. And then Kolchak always calls him Morris, but okay. Yeah.
1: And so he's actually from the Bronx, but basically because he's short, he puts on the French accent, does the French act. And apparently that gets him further with tips or something. So he knew Solange and thought he was a good kid. But his friend Linguas is a hot mess with anger issues. And he wouldn't be surprised if Linguas killed Bobby Ray. And then he talks about all the Louisianans in Chicago and about how like, they're always talking about the Bayou and Gumbo and the Paramount Faye. And that's some kind of boogeyman. And they're always like, watch out for the Pierre Malfay! Paramount Faye is going to get you. And then he's like, Hicks, Bumpkins, because he's a super nice guy. <laughs> and uh <laughs> And then as he's talking, like, Kolchik's walking a little in front of him, and suddenly, like, it gets quiet, and Kolchak turns around, and Pepe's just gone. He just, like, disappeared. And his collection can's on the ground by a hole in the fence with Keep Out painted on it, and his beret is also on the ground, so it's a little suspicious.
0: Yeah, and we get some background on Pepe, Mori, Shapiro. Like, he moved there, like, in 38, he wanted to join the mob, but like he's short you so know he didn't meet the height requirement and so like he <laughs> plays all that kind of stuff right so we get some background on him and so and he's got like this super like bronx accent right it's mm-hmm. like but kolchek is like you know he picks up the, the little tin can and then he picks up the beret and he's like hey hey pepe Pe-, and he's like morris stop messing around and so he, he goes through the little fence because he thinks he's just messing with him right i mean he calls out for him in the enclosed alley and we kind of hear that like Growly kind of noise again, and Kolchak obviously hears it too, and so he goes up this landing because he's like in you know, like I guess the fence is like blocking off like an alley or something, it's like in an like an enclosed yard or alley or something like that. And so Kolchak goes up on this outside landing, and he's going to this one door, and he's trying to find you know he's calling for Mori, and then he hears like the growling gets super loud, so he spins around and he snaps a photo down at the area below, and then after he does that, we see kind of like this large shape go by. But we can't really tell what it is because we just see, like, the silhouette of it. And then Kolchak snaps another photo, like, kind of, like, tracking its path. And then he, like, runs down the landing and goes out through the fence. So I'm not sure if he was trying to find it or if he's like, I'm getting the hell out of here and, like, just goes and leaves. So back in the dark room, Kolchak is developing the print that, honestly, it looks like it was exposed before he printed it. It's just, like, it's, like, some weird, like... Quadrilateral with like light around it I don't know, and he kind of looks at him I'm like mm, 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 mm. Yeah, it's not you a know. very good photo <laughs> Yeah, but he comes out with it And Vincenzo is practicing a speech That he's giving about like the free Press and the importance of it And da 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 And the whole like INS staff is there, like Ron and Emily, and then a bunch of other people that we've never seen, just like extras that are supposed to be part of the staff. And so apparently the press club has asked Vincenzo to give an address and he wants comments. And so Carl's like, Well, I I gotta go to the police headquarters and whatever. And he's like, Well, can't you just listen? And it's like, Okay, 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 you know, that's fine. I'll, you know, I'll listen. So he's like, you know, I'll listen as I'm getting ready, whatever. So of course, Vincenzo starts his speech back up, and Kolchek makes all kinds of noise trying to get his stuff. He like knocks over the can he had for Pepe, and he can't find his beret. And then Miss Emily finds the beret. And she's like, "Oh, here's your little hat!" And so, you know, Vincenzo gets totally pissed off, and he's like, "Fine, you know what? Why don't you? What you've got going on, Kolchek, is so important. Let's just why don't you tell everybody about your little hat?" And why it's so important <laughs> to all of us, right? And so Ron gets all like you mm. he like stands up and crosses his arms, looking all like someone's dad, getting ready to, you know, <laughs> business. And so check is like, well, at, at 6 a.m. this morning, I don't know if you've heard, but the police they released the suspect in Henry Piaget's murder. And then when he says that, Ron just kind of like, Oh, I was at Chevoltaire last night even the pate seems lackluster. So he like told him <laughs> out. Like, so he's fond of Piaget and hair. Yeah. So then Kolchak continues and he says like, the police might not have a suspect, but I do. And so he shows Tony the photo, which Tony is like, all, oh, what is this? Salvador Dali is like, Barmista photo? You know, because he can't really tell what it is. And so he's like, well, I mean, it's not a great job, but I think it's Paul Lengua, a Cajun. And then he talks about pepe but he doesn't say pepe he's like i met this little man and he has the beret and he's like dangling it like at the height that like pepe would be and he's like making it bounce around as he's talking he's like telling me about lingua and then he was snatched right before my eyes and he thinks lingua killed pepe to keep him silent <laughs> and tony's like a little man disappeared <laughs> and so he's mad because he's trying to do a speech and Kolchak is like okay you know fine continue your speech i'll listen i'll listen i'll listen so, Vincenzo's is going through his speech, and like part of his speech is talking about like yellow journalism and sensational Bollyhoo and inflammatory gimmickry. And so he's like totally directed at Kolchak, right? Because like he's already mad at yeah. Kolchak and this kind of stuff. <laughs> and but as he's talking, Kolchak is like grabbing all his stuff, and then he sneaks out the side door and disappears and then like tony finishes and looks up and Kolchak's gone and he gets all flabbergasted so
1: yeah <laughs> <Poor> <laughs> which is
0: kind of like like all the rest of the staff there but like he's upset that Kolchak left so like he obviously has like some esteem for Kolchak.
1: oh yeah no and, he like, wants
0: his opinion
1: he does <laughs> and he wants Kolchak to respect him and kolchek just doesn't <laughs> at all i mean he respects him a little but he clearly doesn't respect him enough to listen to his speech and give him feedback so yeah so at police headquarters, Kolchek is trying to sell his idea to Siska. And Siska starts screaming at Kolchak and threatens to drop him down an elevator shaft. And Kolchak's like, whoa, whoa, what happened to I'm okay, you're okay? And Siska has like lost it he's unhinged he's like you know what kolchek you're actually not okay and the people running my group therapy can never imagine as someone as unokay as you and you have single handedly taken a year and a half of group therapy and sent it right down the drain and so he's like completely lost it And Kolchak's little man is a job for missing persons. And Paul Lingua has an ironclad alibi. He's been monitored 24 hours a day because he's a volunteer in a sleep study at the university. And he's been asleep for six weeks.
0: Oh, no.
1: Kolchak finally broke Cisco's patience. And finally.
0: (laughs) And he is, oh my God, he has lost it. He is screaming at the top of his lungs.
1: Yeah, he is. he is not happy.
0: That must have not <laughs> actually been, like, super pleasant to be in that scene doing that as, like, the person hearing it. Because that is super loud. It is. I had to, like, right
1: turn there.
0: it down. I was like, mm. Yeah. And he's, <laughs> like, and, and he really is into it, too. The actor, he's, like, shaking. And you can just tell he's, like, totally just, like, going at it. So, <laughs> yeah. But then we have a commercial. No one died, but we have a commercial. So, And then we are back at the sleep lab where Paul Lengua has been asleep for six weeks. And Kolchak comes in and he he tries to play it like, so Dr. Paddock, I was talking to my editor and he thinks that your work actually is good. And I did some research and I think that we should do like a series of feature articles about you. And so Paddock kind of just shuts him down. I was like, I don't know if you take me some wooly headed intellectual, but the police have already been here. And like I sent them away and I'm going to send you away just as well. And so he's like, you know, he's been asleep for all this time. And Colt's like, well, aren't you even interested in like the deaths of those associated with Lingua? And Paddock is like, I have never been interested in the crime genre in movies or books. And in real life, it leaves me even colder. So he's no interest. He probably doesn't listen to true crime podcasts, I imagine. No. So, yeah. But all, all he now is interested in is his sleep study. So and instead of like the equipment alarms go off and it's all boom, 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 wah, 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 wah. And the lights flash in. Natalie goes over and starts pushing some buttons. Kolchak is like, what's going on? What's going on? And so Paddock says, Natalie, please go fetch Danforth. So Kolchak is like, you know, what's going on? And Paddock is like, he's in Delta. I hate explaining this to laymen. And so he's explaining <laughs> all the stuff. And like, you know, he's in Delta state and like, they don't know what is going on. It just happens periodically. And they'll figure it out after the study is complete because that is how science works. And then Danforth comes in, and Danforth is actually a security guard. And Koltek is like, "Oh, I had just assumed Danforth was a doctor, but he's <laughs> not." So Koltek no. is going to get thrown out. So,
1: yeah, and I love their attitude. or like his <laughs> attitude is just like, "Yeah, those alarms just go off sometimes. I'm sure it's fine. We'll figure it out when the study's over. Like, whatever." And it's just so like, <laughs> if you're doing a scientific study, like when and the alarms just periodically go off, like. That seems important. This seems like something you should be looking into.
0: Yeah. No, they'll figure it out later. It's fine. It's fine.
1: No, I mean, you know. Yeah. So while Kolchak is getting thrown out of the university lab, patrolman Warren Lunt is making the rounds at the Southside's hillbilly ghetto on his motorcycle. And that hillbilly ghetto is in quotes because that's what they call it. Yeah.
0: That's what Kolchak calls it at least. So. Yeah.
1: And Lunt sees something turn a corner. So he follows and as he enters the alley on his motorcycle, the moss man jumps out and knocks him off it. And he fires his gun at the creature repeatedly, but it only results in a. What's it? R U H R.
0: Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. He's just like, it's like a boom, R-U-R. boom, R-U-R. boom, boom,
1: <laughs> Yeah. So that's what happens. It just results in a R-U-R each time and, you know, yeah. doesn't really do anything. Nope. And, of course, Kolchek hears Officer Down on his police band in his car, and the location's only two blocks from where Maury Shapiro was snatched right in front of Kolchek. So he stops and listens to a recording of Maury talking about the Paramount Fae.
0: Yeah. So then we're in this, like, low-rent recording studio, and Pepe's fiddle-playing partner, who we'll learn his name is Gene, is let's be honest he's wasting his money trying to record his music mm-hmm. it's not that great mm-hmm. but Colcheck is there and then he's not impressed either and then we have like this three-way argument between like the engineer and gene and kolchek because culture trying to ask him questions and it's like this is like i'm paying for this recording time and they're trying to use like the intercom between like the recording studio and the engineer thing and Colcheck finally gives up and he just goes in there and he asks gene what's going on and so gene explains to him like you know the pair of is like a boogeyman and it was like what his mom told him to like you know he's he's obviously angry but he's telling him stuff just to get rid of him like you know like when he was a kid his mom would tell him like it was going to get him like you got to be good or the pair my is going to come and get you and he's like well, what do you mean get him he's like you know like it would squeeze the life out of me and so then he finds out that also how you stop it is that you have to stick it with a stick from a bio gum, so like a, from a bio gum tree, that's how you stop it. You like stake it, but it has to be from a specific tree to kill it. Right. So. Yep. So back at the sleep lab, Siska is now there, and he is making Paddock give Lingua a second injection. So as as he makes He must have already given him one by the time he comes into the scene mm-hmm. to wake him up. So Kolchak runs in, and Paddock is like, "I would just like to put it on the record that I am doing this under duress, and Natalie, you are my witness." And so Sisko, like, is shouting at the top of his lungs again, like, I want this man awake. And so Kolchak is like, oh, a dead cop will change your mind about things, huh? So Paddock wants Kolchak removed. And he he doesn't call him an ass, but he basically calls him an ass. And, like, he wants him removed. And Kolchak is like, you may not like this, but, like, this guinea pig of yours here dreamed five people to death. And Paddock is like, poppycock. And so Kolchek basically explains the story that after six weeks in sleep, Lingua has somehow entered a mental state that no one has ever been in before. And it has given him the power to manifest his dreams into reality. Ooh. And Paddock is like, he hasn't been dreaming. He's been in steady delta state. And so they end up comparing the EKGs to the times of death of all the victims because Kolchak has seen like things go off and also when Kolchak first meets them they talk about how he's in REM which is I know. And she explains that it's what, that's what he's dreaming so he obviously hasn't been not allowed to dream at all because when we first meet you you're telling us he's in REM sleep
1: yeah but then their thing is that he's been in delta sleep the whole six weeks and hasn't dreamed at all right. so it's like
0: but they yeah. end up comparing all the times of death with the spikes in the AKG meter, and they meet exactly and so we find out that there are spikes every time someone dies on the record.
1: Right. So meanwhile, Paddock has given Lingua a second injection to wake him up. And Siska loses it about Kolchek and swamp monsters and dreaming people to death. Like he just does not have patience for that. And Kolchek has been bugging him, bugging him good. He's grating on his last nerves. And Paddock notices that something's odd lingua should actually be awake now because he's given him whatever they're giving him some kind of amphetamine probably it's like wake him up Well, he like, says
0: methamphetamine
1: oh he does say methamphetamine yeah, yeah say so methamphetamine. it should like at, oh yeah it even says in the notes right there two dosages of methamphetamine <laughs> so it, it should have woken him up by Corey now. Corey is because,
0: off script just like miss emily she is just, yeah, just going all over with the it.
1: place um but he can't wake lingua up like it's not working and so Kolch's like well, if we can't, we need to start sharpening stakes made from the Louisiana bayou gum tree. And Sisko loses it again. But Kolch notices that when he mentioned the paramil fe, Lingua seized slightly and his monitors lit up. So it seems like he can hear them. And attempts to waken Lingua or mention of the Paramalfe result in murders. And so when Michelle Kelly bumped into the equipment and disturbed Lingua, she was killed.
0: Yeah. And it's not noted in the episode. But Pepe is also snatched when he's like, like basically talking bad about Langua and like mocking the Paramafe. Like, my, my fae is gonna get you. And like, calls him hick and stuff. Like, and then he's snatched right then. So right. we'll talk about that later, and it's gonna be pretty soon because the episode's almost over. But yeah, I want to talk about that a little bit of like what the motivation for all this is, sort of thing. But yeah, yeah.
1: But that point becomes moot because Langua's monitors go nuts, and then they flatline. So he's dead, and all his dreams and nightmares are over. Oh, good. Or are they?
0: Oh, okay. Hmm. (laughs) Yeah. So at the tail end of the scene, I started to get a very, like, Orson Welles doing a Frozen Pea commercial-like thing from Paddock. And maybe that's just me because like he is a larger dude. He's got the beard. and He's got the clothes. And he's got like that affectation in his voice kind of thing. But it also could have actually been intentional as part of like the satire. So I'm not sure. So I'm not sure if I'm just like making connections or if they actually were going that direction as well. Like, you mm-hmm. know, because at that point nowadays, obviously we look at that stuff. I mean, Orson Wells was fantastic. I'm a big fan of Orson Wells, But like he did kind of like deteriorate towards the end. And I think at that time, even though he was still respected, it was kind of being almost seen like he was almost becoming a caricature of himself as well mm. at that time around like 1974 1975 so I don't know maybe it's just me hindsight right yeah but we also get a commercial at this point and then when we come back Carl is entering the INS offices and Bruno the janitor is mopping up the floors and Kolchak is like hey Bruno and Bruno's like hey Kolchak you getting any <laughs> <laughs> like Kolchek, like, getting any like, laughs. Right? And he's, like, what happened? Because, like, Bruno's mopping up the floor, and, like, so there's water everywhere. And he's, like, oh, the, like, the ceiling's leaking, they, like, drip down from below, so, like, the plumbers will be here tomorrow. And he's, like, and Kolchek's, like, you mean, like, next week? And so they both laugh, because they realize, like, it's not going to get taken care of tomorrow. So, and then, so Kolchek sits down on his desk, and Vincenzo and a couple of members of the press club come in, and they're all, like, super gregarious, and, like, ha-ha! <laughs> talking and laughing and they're all in their tuxedos and ron is kind of behind them and ron is like super silent he's all just quiet and tony is kind of upset that kolchik didn't come to hear his speech because it was a huge hit he got like a standing ovation and then kolchik is like you cut it short honey he's like yeah i cut it short and they loved it so they've been celebrating And apparently, Vincenzo can hold his liquor. Like, he gets like antacid problems a lot, apparently, like from eating. But he apparently can drink because they apparently have been celebrating. They closed down the Press Club bar. And then he says they closed down Little Dublin, which at first I thought was a bar, but I think it actually might be like an area of the town. So they may have made the rounds in Little Dublin and closed down all those places. And then Hmm. he's got liquor in his office so they're going to go in there and drink some more so he's having a good time and he wants Kolchak to come in even though Kolchak didn't come he's like come on celebrate with us and Kolchak's like no no I got I got and maybe next time I got to finish the story so he goes they go in there and drink and then Ron is just looking like a lonely little boy just like standing by the door just all like hmm. he's in his tuxedo and Kolchak's like Ron good night and then Ron just kind of like turns around and leaves. So I don't know if like Ron's hurt because like he didn't get physically invited to go drink, or if just like that's not his thing and he feels out of place, or I'm not sure what's going on, but
1: yeah, I don't know either.
0: It's like kind of like poor Ron and then kind of like ha, ha Ron. So <laughs> then we hear glasses clinking in the background. So they're having a good time in there.
1: So. Yeah. So Bruno's still mopping, and Kolchak sits down at his desk and he grabs some papers on the side of it, and he notices his desk is all wet. So he wipes up the desk and he's like moving stuff out of the way so we can get the water and he reaches into a drawer and he shouts because there's like a piece of Spanish moss. And so he like throws it out and Bruno stops mopping and Vincenzo and the press club members come out of Vincenzo's office and Kolchak realizes the ceiling isn't leaking. The paramalfe was there looking for Kolchak. And it's existing outside of Langwa's dreams now. And it heard him talk about making a spear out of the gum tree and it's coming to kill him. So Kolchek is like freaked out and he's like, I got to go. I got to deal with this problem. Mm -hmm. So he breaks into the botanical gardens and he snaps a branch off the bayou gum tree. And with his knife, he sharpens it into like a stake type thing. So it's pointy at the end.
0: Yep. Because Kolchak knows a few things about stakes.
1: He does. He does.
0: He has some experience with stabbing things. (laughs) mistakes yep so he drives downtown and he pries up a street hole cover manhole cover with a crowbar and he goes down into the sewers with a sack of stuff and i'm not sure what's all in the sack because there is a lot of stuff in the sack there's like something that's like rectangular box looking thing or something you can see from the shape of the bag but we're assuming that his gum steak is in there as well so Mm -hmm. yeah you know when he gets out of his mustang before he goes over to the manhole cover and pries it open, he gets out and he's actually wearing a trench coat, like the old, like, you know, the, like the stereotypical, like, you know, like tan trench coat thing over his suit. And then he takes it off and he puts it in the car and then grabs the stuff and then goes over to the, the street. And like, I don't know if that's a one-off, like, it's not something we would like, it's not congruent with cold check and his iconography. Cause usually it's just, it's just his seersucker suit. Right. So I kind of find it interesting, like for that reason, cause like, kultrick was wearing a trench coat that's new i've never seen that before so in the early movies he does wear some different clothes like at some point he's wearing like his seersucker jacket but he's wearing like like light brown pants it's like his wardrobe kind of i think in the Night strangler he pretty much has got this suit like it's transferred to this suit only and then obviously in this show he just wears that suit all the time but i think in the early parts of the Night Stalker movie, he does wear some different clothes. They're similar, but they're different. And then he goes to just the the light blue, like seersucker striped suit and the light blue shirt and the tie and all that kind of stuff. So, but yeah, like a trench coat, huh? Interesting.
1: We'll have to see if it comes back.
0: Yeah. Maybe, I don't know. So in the sewer, he gets down in there and the water is like up above his knee in some spots and actually up to like the inseam or waist in other spots because the ground underneath the water apparently is uneven. So that's gonna probably work out super well for Kolchek later, I imagine. And there are like rats on the wall and there's like some rats swimming in the water. This is all I think pretty much stock footage of like rats swimming in the sewer and on the wall, but like we see them. And then there's also some growling noises as Kolchek makes his way through the main tunnel of the sewer with his sack so it is lit though they have lights in the sewer which is nice he doesn't have that flashlight so that's good
1: Yeah, Uh, yeah that's helpful so above ground there's this truck that says bureau of sewers and department of water and sewers and like the guy driving it must see the open access hole in the street because he like pulls over and puts the lid back on. So
0: Yeah, and this dude must be pretty strong because Kolchak was really struggling to get that cover up and then like to move it, and the dude just like slides it and covers the hole. He's like, Oh, okay, and it goes down. Yep. So I was like, Whoa, okay. I guess you do that for a living. So
1: and then back in the sewer, Kolchek finds Pepe's body at the mouth of a smaller side tunnel, and the growling noises grow louder. So he's like, Okay, I need to get out of here. So he climbs up the first ladder he sees, but above ground, we see the truck in the alley backing up and stopping with one of its wheels right on top of his street cover, so like, he can't get it open. So from below, Kolchak tries to dislodge the cover, but obviously he can't because there's a truck parked on it. So, bad luck. Pick yeah. the wrong one.
0: Yeah. So then he climbs down, because he needs to get to the next access point so he can get out, right? He's still like, I need to get the hell out of here. So he climbs down, but then a short distance away the Pierre Maffet rises up from the water and Kolchak is like, ah! and he runs. And so of course he trips and he falls flat into the water. Boom, disappears into the water. So the creature lunges at the spot where he was and is like grasping under the water, trying to find Kolchak. And then we see Kolchak, he's like some feet away, like behind the monster. We see his head pop up out of the water and he's looking and then he takes a breath and he goes back under the water. And the Pierre Maffet is like working his way through the tunnel, like just grasping at the water underground. Mm-hmm. So then Kolchek emerges once again and he dives into like the side tunnel, but the creature hears that. And so it turns around and goes over to that location, but it didn't realize that he was in the side tunnel. So it's still like working the main tunnel, like just grasping under the water. And then it eventually passes by the tunnel. So then Kolchek splashes out of the tunnel to run. But of course it hears that. And so mm-hmm. chases him down. So he gets to the ladder that he had tried to climb before and he grabs the bag of stuff that he had dropped because when he was like, Wah! he like dropped his bag and everything. So he pulls out the gum stake and he stands behind the ladder, like as like some sort of protection between the ladder and the wall. And then the Pierre Maffet is coming at him.
1: Yeah.
0: I don't know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so the Pierre Maffei reaches him and Kolchik jams the spear into the creature's chest and it like howls and stumbles backwards and then it disappears into the water. And Kolchak like collects his wits and then he kind of stumbles down the tunnel and finds another exit. And then we see a completely filthy Kolchak is back talking to his recorder. And we can see he's actually in a hospital's waiting room. It looks like maybe, or maybe like a doctor's office. It's kind of unclear, but the supporting evidence of his theory, i.e. the body of the monster has washed away to the Chicago sanitary canal by the time police arrived on the scene. So they don't have a body, they don't have proof that the monster existed. So he's like, why call it a theory? It was obviously a fact. I witnessed it.
0: That's right. So somehow, Lingua in his special dream state, had created a palpable horror. And when Kolchak checked in with the sleep research lab, later, he found out that Dr. Paddock had lost his taste for research, apparently. He shaved off his beard, and he moved back to Long Island to work in the family shoe business. And then Kolchak is like, But what about Paul Angois, the subject of that research? Well, he's just dead. And then Kolchak sneezes. So he may have caught a cold in the sewer. And then it's the end credits, and we're done.
1: Yep. So That is the episode.
0: That is the episode. So Tori is our resident French person. (laughs) So she may correct me if I am wrong here.
1: yeah, my pronunciation isn't always great. Like, I'm good at reading it and understanding it. And like if people speak to me, I can usually figure out what they're saying. But like my my personal pronunciation, my French teacher would be ashamed. So I apologize, okay. Mr. From for my horrible pronunciation of French.
0: Okay, yeah. So it turns the Pierre Mafe, it apparently possibly comes from Le Père Dumille Feya which translates to the father of a thousand leaves, leaves I think so kind of like a like moss man kind of like green knight sort of character mm-hmm. and then that ended up becoming pere Malfea, which is father of bad leaves because apparently it wasn't a good dude the father of a thousand leaves he was a bad dude and so he became the father of bad leaves and then with like the whole like creole french thing it apparently then became Paramafe, which I guess if it's when I was doing the like Google translation in the works for Colcheck, it's actually one word. Paramafe, it's actually one word. I split it into two because I couldn't get a translation when it was one word, but when I split it into two, then I would get the translation of like either father wrong or like father bad occurrences. But apparently, when you put it in one word, it's pronounced paramafe, but when you split it, it just becomes. Paramuffe. So I'm not sure yeah. what's going on there. I don't understand French. I'm bad <laughs> at it. But apparently, that's like the history of it. And then there's actually a cool page that I will link to that is entitled The Moss Man Cometh that kind of goes into the history. Of that, which I found when I was researching, like how to say it and all that kind of stuff, and I found a link for this, and I was like, "Oh!" And so it goes into the history of that, and then actually goes into like the TV and movie history of this kind of monster as well, and it mentions the Cold Chick episode and some other stuff too. So like the Swamp Thing comics and all that kind of stuff. So it's kind of interesting. I'll link to that in the show notes. So back to that pin that we talked about. Mm-hmm. So Michelle Kelly gets killed because she bumped the machines. And almost woke up Lingua. And so you almost woke up this dude, which would make me not exist. So I'm going to kill you. I'm a monster. And then, like Solange, we can like he was related. Well, not related, but like he was associated with Lingua. Like they were roommates, right? And so, okay, maybe that's why he was killed. I'm not really sure, but there's at least some relation to Lingua there. And then Mori, Pepe, he was killed because he was kind of like making fun of Lingua and talking bad about him, and then making fun of Pierre Maffet. So, but then, like, what's the connection with Henri Piaget? I don't know.
1: Yeah, I don't like, know
0: was either. It just, like, was it just an opportunity killing? Was it because he's French? I mean, are we going, like, that route? I mean, the cop, obviously, was killed because it was, like, opportunity, right? Like, so he just, the monster was there, and he saw him, and so he killed him, right? It was an like right. opportunity killing. And he goes after Kolchik, obviously, because Kolchik knows how to destroy him so we don't want that to happen but like I don't get the like it seems like the killings are directed in one way or another around Mm Langlois but we don't get any of that with Piaget but then also like with the cop and stuff so it's like like, is it a directional thing or is it non-directional I mean it doesn't have to be binary it can be both I'm just I'm trying to suss out like how it's going on and I'm just trying to figure out like what is the connection because obviously like piaget really is what gets Kolchek into the case right but there we don't have any real connection of why that's even related to it
1: yeah so if there had been some connection between lingua and piaget like if he had worked there or something at some point it would have been nice if they had you know put that in the episode to give us they do mention that
0: he had recently gotten fired remember when pepe's talking so that may be it i didn't didn't think about that Maybe didn't he think did about work
1: that. at the restaurant then. It just they didn't. Maybe
0: and that just didn't make it through in the script. That's possible. Okay, that could that could be it because Pepe does mention the like you know Lengua just disappeared and he had gotten fired recently because he apparently can't keep a job because he's not okay. a great dude. Yeah, so, so
1: maybe he was working as a dishwasher or something. Okay, got fired. I don't know, but it would be nice if they were more clear about that because you're right. Yeah. Like everyone else has this direct connection, and then it's like, what's this deal? Who knows?
0: Yeah, and then like once lingua is dead then what's the, like, is it just like, I'm going to roam around and kill people? Or is it like, because it sounds like even like the mythology is like, you know, he's going to go after the bad kids. Like you got to behave, that kind of thing. Like he's a boogeyman, right? It's not just like some roaming monster going around killing people. It seems like there is, there's still like some direction to why he appears and kills you. But yeah, I don't know. But yeah, I don't I'm either. probably like expecting way too much from this. So
1: <laughs> it's okay. Yeah. yeah. This episode did remind me a lot of the X-Files episode Sleepless, Mm
0: -hmm. which
1: obviously is like the opposite situation where people who haven't slept in like 25 years, one of those people is able to like manifest his dreams and control them. And it's unclear here. Like, I guess Paul is controlling it. Maybe, maybe not. It's not totally clear if he's controlling the Paramount I don't know. Well, Maybe it's like
0: a subconscious control. Yeah, that would make
1: sense. But I did think it was kind of interesting because it does have like a similar presence of science screwing around and finding out with people's sleep and <laughs> creating situations. Yeah. Well, where and, is, and, and, in, well, and in
0: sleepless, they would be REM sleep deprived because they're not sleeping at all.
1: Right. So, yeah. so it is sort of the same where this guy was also, we're told REM sleep dis- deprived despite what we're told in the first scene. So yeah. who knows? But yeah, the same idea of like messing with someone's sleep and it, Creates a situation where they're able to manifest dreams in a way that's dangerous for other people. So, yeah.
0: And if you're listening to this, you probably have heard our episode on sleepless. But if for some weird reason you haven't, then go back and listen to Sleepless because we also talk about some sleep study stuff too, as well, in that episode. Mm-hmm.
1: And staying awake for long periods yeah. of time and stuff. Yeah. So, anyway, that was it, just kind of reminded me of that, at least in terms of general premise. I mean, obviously they're not fairy yeah. alike, but it does have some stuff in common. So, yeah.
0: And then also, just weird coincidence because. We're recording these obviously ahead of when they're going to be heard by people. But yesterday we recorded Fresh Bones, which <laughs> is all about like Louisiana, like stuff is more of like, like, you know, voodoo kind of stuff, but it is still about like people from Louisiana moving and bringing their like stories up and that kind of stuff. So kind of a interesting little coincidence with that too.
1: Yeah, Totally. It's all, the it's all connected. Man, it's <laughs> all X
0: Files well, adjacent, I think.
1: I mean, well, that's why. We, yeah, that's why we're watching this show. <laughs> <laughs> it is fun to point out those connections when we find them.
0: Yeah, and then as we mentioned last episode, Richard Keel does play the Paramafe in this episode. He's gigantic, right? Yes. He actually looks much better as a monster early on than he does at the end. At the end, yeah. it's kind of just a wet, gross mess. Because in the, especially in the first scene when he catches Michelle, it looks like he is a freaking Bigfoot, which made me, that's why I went back and looked at the Six Million Dollar Man. So like, oh, is he the one who played the Bigfoot in the Six Million Dollar Man episode? But that was Andre the Giant. But he actually looks like a Bigfoot there. But then like in the sewer, he's just like, it's all like, it's all stringy and gross. And I don't know if it's because it's wet or it's because of a different costume. But he definitely does look like a Bigfoot in the earlier scenes.
1: So... Yeah, I know. He definitely does. And, like, at the end, like, his hands are totally out of the, like, mm-hmm. there. Can, there's no costume or moss on them at all. So it's like, mossy, yeah, well, mossy, There's parts of
0: his body, too, like, <laughs> in one part, like, when he's, like, we see from behind when he's grasping down the water, like, his shoulder's kind of exposed. Yeah, so, you like, kind
1: of see the zipper a little bit. So, yeah, it's but, you know, hey, <laughs> they did what they did. It worked. It's okay. Yeah.
0: I thought maybe you could actually see his underwear through the costume at one point, too, but I may have just been, like imagining that i don't know if he was wearing like it looked like he was wearing like it looked like you could make out like black trunks underneath the costume but okay just imagining that could have just been shadow i don't know or it could have been he was wearing black trunks under the costume so
1: yeah i don't know
0: white ones would have been you probably wouldn't notice that so
1: yeah so what
0: did you think of this episode
1: so i actually enjoyed this one a lot more than the last one um i thought it was i mean like the last one was fine but this one just I feel like the side stories were a little better. Like, I really like Siska. I thought that was funny. And I just, I don't know. I thought it was good. I liked Vincenzo having a win, even though it wasn't a win we see on screen. But he gives a speech. It's well-received. You know, he he has a win. That was nice.
0: Yeah. And he, like um, I said, he apparently can drink. Yeah. Because they his closed boost. down at least two, if not more, bars that night. Yeah, Well, so. he's a
1: journalist in the 70s. I'm pretty sure it's a job requirement don't <laughs> yeah, hold your so. liquor, I I think I'm gonna rate it a seven because I thought it was right. pretty good. I was entertained. I liked it. I thought it was a pretty solid good episode.
0: righty I hmm, I think let's see. Um, I am kind of holding the vampire as my guide for like what can it? I gave the, I gave the, I gave the vampire an eight, and then. Even though I assume, like, you know, prior to watching it, I kind of assumed that the werewolf was going to stink, just because from what I'd seen of it, but that also got an eight. So those are my two Mm -hmm. highest episodes. So I kind of use those as my, my, what am I going to do here? I'm not sure that this is at that level. It's close, though. So I am also going to go with a seven. Cool. These last two episodes are ones I'm actually not sure what I'm doing. So I talked about with bad medicine i was i gave it a five i'm not sure if it's gonna stay a five it might get bumped up to a six i'm not sure this one may similarly it's a seven it may go to an eight i'm not sure i think i'll need to maybe finish out the season and maybe get a little more reference points and see what i can do but yeah but i'll go with seven for this one cool it was good i liked it
1: yeah Yeah. i did too i enjoyed it i thought it was fun yeah
0: all righty well Anything else? Any more any more French knowledge we need to know? Creole?
1: <laughs> I've been trying to like use Duolingo to like review French cuz it's been a long time and I'm trying to like I was watching The Circle of France and like I mean my understanding of French, my comprehension is still pretty good, but it's just like you know they speak so fast or the text is only on the screen for so quick so like I can read it but I can't it, they pull it away before I finish figuring out what it says. So I'm trying to like review. So I'm on Duolingo. And I'm trying to review my French. So hopefully my French will improve. And maybe I'll actually get my accents better. Because when I try and talk to Duolingo and say the phrases, like, je suis ou chat, they're always they're like, it doesn't hear half the words. So clearly I'm not pronouncing them correctly.
0: Oh, uh, okay.
1: Just
0: yeah. Well unlike I mean I referenced Fresh Bones earlier when we did that one. Yeah. That one actually they did kind of well, it was kind of like French creole so it wasn't pure French. So all right. you, you, were having a, you were having a little bit of trouble with that, with that one. You were able to pick out some stuff. Like this yeah. one, they don't really speak in any French at all, really. No. They just kind it of just... like like Pepe throws in a few like wheeze and that kind of thing yeah. when he's talking. But yeah.
1: Yeah. But yeah. French is a cool language. It's really, I took four years of it in high school. I took a year in college. Like I've done a lot of French. I should be way better at it than I am, but you know how it goes. You don't use it. And then, it and then I took Japanese, which got all mixed up in my brain. So sometimes I'm speaking Japanese or French and like, I try and insert a word from the other one, which is super fun. Cause
0: oh, okay. Yeah. Oh.
1: Three years of Japanese, my brother. That's interesting,
0: there. though, because that actually is how if you're really, from what I understand, I don't like I I can barely speak English. Um, <laughs> from what I understand is when you actually are really getting like they always say, like, if you're if you're constantly translating when you speak, then you're not grasping the language. Right. You're constantly doing a translation in your head. But like what you said, if you're sometimes inadvertently slipping in different words then it sounds like you actually do have it in your head you're not actually doing translation because if you're doing translation you wouldn't be that wouldn't happen right you would
1: yeah really, that
0: actually is I mean it sign, just I depends
1: think. I used to be really good at it and I did I mean I took a lot of it like by the time we got to fourth year French like we had books in French we were reading we read The Little Prince La Petit Prince and we like you know read that whole book in French as like part of our oh, like wow. final thing and like we would do like all sorts of like You know, conversations. And my French teacher was really good about making us like listen to French stuff and then like repeat it and also write down what was being said. So you get a lot of the verbal, like you you get a lot of the heard French as it's being spoken, not just like television shows that are about learning French, but actually Mm -hmm. like real conversation. So my teacher was really great. He was amazing. And I learned a lot. It's just, again, haven't really used it much. And so (laughs) I'm very rusty
0: yeah, which is I, mean, too I, took bad. Two, I took two years of Spanish in high school. and to be honest, like my friend Joe and I, we would have like the handbook of the Marvel Universe, like tucked into our textbook during class and not know what hell was going on <laughs> most of the time. I'll so- see. And
1: I would try and read <laughs> comics in French or like I tried I read a couple I read the first two Harry Potters in French because like I read them in English, too, but like, I had them in French because, oh. like they're simple enough that I could read.
0: Yeah, yeah, we weren't reading Spanish copies of the Handbook of the Marvel Universe. We were just reading the Handbook of the Marvel Universe in our
1: yeah. books.
0: So, because it was a big book, it could hide a comic. It was sweet. So, <laughs> yeah, my French uh, book was
1: very big too. And I have the 501 Verbs book. And, yeah, so, you know,
0: textbook makers, maybe don't make your book so big because it's really cool to hide <laughs> comic books in there. Um, anyway, I don't know if that's still a thing or not yeah are probably just looking at shit on their phone now so yeah i'm old Arr, kids anyway <laughs> they're, they're they're contraptions their phones sir so anyway au revoir, au revoir. Biento. uh mm. a
1: biento, i think i think you have to the a ah before it see i'm rusty as shit yeah,
0: i can't even <laughs>
1: mm. i want to rewatch is hosted by tori and nick and recorded at black cat studios
0: episode production design and editing is by lazy and productions our music is dark science by david Hillowitz and the truth is what we make of it by the agrarians
1: our premium feed is where you can find all of our x files adjacent bonus episodes covering television and films that are you guessed it x files adjacent if you like these bonus episodes tell a friend about our patreon page we'd love to have them join us
0: Speaking of which, be sure to join us next time as we rewatch episode 10 of Cole the Night Stalker, the energy eater.
1: And try to figure out if the, the truth, truth is, is still, still out there. there. After being made to pay $20 in advance, he's told about this dead on arrival body that was brought in, Bobby Ray Solange, who was found in the basement of Chaplin Apartments. Champlain. Champlain apartments. Did I spell it
0: wrong? No, I, I just can't read. Okay. Because <laughs> everything, everything in here is is Frenchy, right? It so is, we're it getting is that kind French. of in the West where we're getting the tie to fresh bones, because it's all like Louisiana legends kind of stuff. I was like, oh, interesting. Yeah,
1: it was good timing. So he's found in the basement of the Champlain apartments.
0: Okay. Can you just read, like, after being made and just run it all together for him? Yeah.
1: Me?